ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, Chickie Fitzgerald here, and it is a glorious Friday here in Tampa, Florida, but uh, that is kind of far for the course and the whole reason why I live here. So we have back by popular demand, Erica Anderson, and it's been a, a couple of years since we have talked, but I happened to follow her on social media and saw that she has a new book out, and I always love having our authors back. And Erica has written a new book called Change from the Inside Out, which, of course, is where it all has to start, right? Making you, your team, and your organization change capable. And I am just dying to hear about that. But first, let me welcome you. Hi, Erica. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be back. We've always had such wonderful conversations, and I'm really looking forward to talking well, to you. We have. And you know, I think you of my really early guests, uh, kind of way back when, uh, and I, I think I've had you on several times uh, since then. And, you know, it's just always such a delight because I love your perspective on leadership and, and on people. And you probably know I had been a consultant uh, for, you know, a, a pretty significant chunk of my career, I would say about yes. a third. Um, you know, at first I started out in corporate life, then I went out uh, as as a strategic consultant, and then I've spent the last ten years really in in travel technology. So now I'm on the the leadership side of the table of uh, actually now trying to rebuild a team. I don't actually have a team, mm -hmm. uh, uh, not a full time one anyway. So uh, Erica, it's just so great to have you back, and I. I really would love for you to start, especially for those who haven't heard our previous interviews. Give us a little bit of the Erica backstory. Okay, so I'll do the sort of 20,000 foot. So uh, I'll start a long time ago. 31 years ago, I started my company, which is called Proteus International, which has continued to grow and evolve and prosper. And now I have two wonderful partners and uh, about two dozen consultants worldwide. And we focus on what we've come to call leader readiness. So it's helping leaders at any level in organizations, new leaders, all the way to very senior leaders, to be ready for what will come, to have the skills, to have the mindset, the resilience, to be able to you know, come into and thrive in the future, which sort of leads us back to this current book. <laughs> right, right. Well, some of the, the previous books that we've talked about, uh, my one of my favorites was Leading So People Will Follow. And honest to God, the thing I loved the most about that book was the cover and, and the picture of, of the ducks uh, flying uh, and, and the one at the front being uh, in a different color, right? Which is, you know, kind of how I've always seen myself as a leader because, uh, I'm a change agent. I, you know, I'm I'm uh, the iconoclast. You know, all of that. Um, the other one I have, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure this uh, was an interview that we did, was on being strategic, and yeah. that was the one with the story about the castle. Yeah. And, yeah. and I loved your storytelling in that book. So tell me about change from the inside out and, and how it came about, right? So the the 
catalyst for actually writing this particular book? Okay, so the the last book I wrote, and I we I think we did an interview about it. I can't exactly remember, but it was called Be Bad First. It's about learning. It's about how to be a master learner. And so, you know, that book came out in 2016, and I immediately started thinking about, well, what would I want to write next? And one of the things when I was writing Be Bad First is the reason I wrote it is because no one can rest on their laurels. Everything is changing so quickly that you have to be a good learner. You have to be able to learn new skills and new ways of operating pretty continuously. And that was my motivation for writing that book. And then so I continued to think about change. And I and I noticed how, as we've all noticed, and especially over the last few years, you know, change is ramping up and getting more disruptive, more nonstop. And I thought, okay, so we don't, generally speaking, most people don't like change very much. What, what's that about? And if I could help people understand why we hesitate to change or why change sometimes feels dangerous to us, and then merge that with our existing change model, which we already had a great change model that we were using to help organizations make change. But I really wanted to get down to the heart of it. You know, I'm, you know this, Chicky. I really like to crack codes and get down underneath it. And, and to me, the core code here was what is it that makes human beings hesitate to change? And how can we rewire ourselves to make ourselves what I've come to call, what we've come to call change capable? So change is a capability of ours and we don't hesitate. It doesn't feel dangerous. It doesn't make us scared. So right. that was my motivation for writing this book. Got it. Well, you know, again, you just have such a great way of weaving in stories. Can you tell us who, who was the ideal person that you wrote this book for? Oh, I love that question. And I think we've had this conversation before. I always, because I like to write in a very conversational way, I always have a kind of mythological, I guess, group of people that I'm writing to. And the three people that I was writing this book to, my, my made-up audience for this book, were uh, a middle-aged Black guy who's a, who is completely made up, a senior manager, a kind of um, younger white guy, early on, like a Gen Z, just starting in his career, and then a kind of 35-year-old uh, Latina woman who was in customer service. Don't ask me why I made these people up, but th these are the people. Right. I, okay, this is who I'm. And so I really wanted, obviously, a very diverse audience, diverse in age and race and gender and experience, because I really wanted this to appeal to uh, as many people as possible. Right. And I, I'm going to ask, I, I don't normally ask this kind of question, but do you think, and you've talked about diversity, you know, obviously, you know, the Latino and the black and, and the white male, but I think a lot about age diversity because as I'm rebuilding, as yes. I'm rebuilding my company, right. I have had my first team when I, when I first started my company. So my, my original co-founders was two guys in their twenties who were tech guys and three of us who were in our sixties. Right. Yep. And so then when I built the second team, it was like, Ooh, got to get some people from that middle group. And, and now, you know, I'm really setting out to do that age diversity thing. Although I'm not going very diverse on my team because I want an all girl band. Right. I'm, I am purposefully not being 
terribly diverse. Yeah, um, I completely agree with you about age. And my mythical people were one person in their 50s and 60s, one person in their 20s, and one person in their 30s and 40s, because I do think that that's important. And right. But the question I was going to ask you about that is this built-in reluctance to change. Yes. Does it get stronger with age? And, and do the young people actually have that resistance and have to break it? Or, you know, what, what is the, the observation about the age spectrum? It's a wonderful question. And I have not found it in, and this is just, you know, grandmother, literal grandmother data, but we haven't done studies about this, but I haven't found it correlated with age. I've found some people in their 70s and 80s who are very change capable, very change fluent. And I found lots of people in their 20s who are not, who are change averse. And they, it's, it's interesting because lots of young people think they're not change averse, but it's because they're stuck to very modern things, but they're stuck to those things. They don't want to change away from those things, right? So yeah, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's strongly, changed, uh, strongly age related. Oh, that's interesting. Well, let's dive in because uh, I, I would like to leave our listeners uh, with a taste of your book and clearly uh, still would love for them to go uh, back out and, and buy it. But we, we kind of alluded to this in, in the discussion about diversity, but how has change itself changed? That's, you know, as you know, that's how I start out the book. And, and it's a short chapter, but I just talk about how much it sped up. Sometimes I feel like we're so in the middle of it that we forget how much more everything is changing now, especially post-pandemic. I mean, you know, I, I start out with a story from my childhood when we got our first television, you know, when I was a little kid. And then 10 years later, we got color television. And that was kind of the pace of change in the 50s and 60s, five years later, 10 years later. And now changes as big as the change from black and white to color TV happen every couple of days, you know, technologically, sociologically, economically. And, and the pandemic has just ramped it up so much because what I've noticed in the last couple of years is uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, so many things happened that everybody just assumed could never happen, like schools closing. That could never happen. Suddenly it's happening. And I feel like that kind of took the lid off. Now it's like, well, who, then anything can happen, you know? And so that has really sped up the process of change. So I just wanted to make that clear to everybody and kind of back up the camera and say, look how different it is now than it was even 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Well, I have to preface this next question by sharing my bias, right? Because my bias is I love change, right? <laughs> and and innovation in changing the game, right? Get the game changer is what this show is called, right? So my bias is if things are too stable for too long, that's what makes me really uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So, so you one, think of it this way, uh, Chicky, that like most everything, it's a bell curve, right? And there are people at the top of the bell curve who are highly change capable. They like change. They feel fluent with change. It feels comfortable to them to change. And I'll talk 
I'll talk more in a minute about what happens inside the minds of people who like change. But that's just the upper end of that bell curve. At the bottom of the bell curve are the opposite, your opposite number, people who just hate change and do everything they can to make their lives stay the same and stay within the uh, confines of what feels comfortable to them. Most of us are somewhere in the middle, but for most people, change is uncomfortable. So that's kind of who, who I'm writing this for, the people the majority of people for whom change is uncomfortable. Right. And so for the people listening to this show, <laughs> I, I expect that this next question is a, well, duh, kind of question, right? Why do people prefer stability? Oh, I love that you asked that question. So there's a word homeostasis, and it was only coined about 100 years ago, but it describes something that human beings have been trying to do for thousands of years. And homeostasis means returning to what you think of as a stable, stable set of circumstances. So that, that urge toward homeostasis still serves us physically. You know, we're too cold, we put on a sweater, we make a fire. <coughs> we're hungry, we eat. We are, we're having too much, you know, too much sun, you get into the shade. So those are physical ways to return to homeostasis. Now, until fairly recently in human history, most change was dangerous. So that urge toward homeostasis politically, sociologically, economically was a way to stay safe. So there's a famine, you try and start growing food as soon as you can. The Huns invade your village, you try and get rid of them as soon as you can, go back to the way it was before, right? Change was generally disruption and often um, life-threatening disruption. So you want to come back to homeostasis. You want to come back. So that urge, it still serves us physically and it serves us in our, you know, uh, lives. It's not like you were saying, you know, you still love your husband after 30 years. That's good homeostasis, right? But right. economically, sociologically, politically, organizationally, there are many ways in which homeostasis doesn't always, or even doesn't often serve us anymore. So we need to rewire ourselves to get more comfortable with changing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so how do we rewire, right? You know, uh, because we are built a certain way and, yeah. you know, you, you and I have spoken before, so you know how important my faith is to me, yeah. right? And this belief that, that God actually created me from the foundation of the earth with a perfect plan for my life. Right. And, and that really what that means, you know, it's, it's not the theoretical plan for my life. It's he knew which choice was going to be best. Every time you have good, better, best, and I'm, I'm taking out the bad choices, hoping that those don't right, happen. Right, right. Right? But we watch, uh, especially as parents, we watch our children, right. And, and they make choices today. Uh, and and we we look at those choices and we know what we believe as the parent is best for them. And I, you know, I believe God has the same thing in our lives and that, that you know, he has this really uh, mostly gentle way of like pushing us back to center when we when we get off kilter and we make right. wrong choices. Um, and I actually also believe in, and this is why this, um, you know, kind of disclosing my bias is so important in this show, because I want to make sure that we're, we're talking, you know, with the same language. So um, I actually believe we were wired a certain way, but also our bag was packed 
with a whole bunch of skills and talents that sometimes we don't discover, right? Along oh, the journey. Yeah. In fact, let me pick up on that because that's, I think, what, the way we rewire ourselves is make a better choice about how we see change. I love your use of the word choice. So let me let me explain how I came to see this. We call it the change arc. And what I've, having figured this out about three years ago, now I've observed thousands of people and I think it's pretty consistently predictable what I'm about to say. So when a change comes at us, this is especially true with imposed change. It's a little bit, so a change comes at us, right? In, a, in our company, they say, okay, we're going to do things this new way, or we're going to reorganize ourselves. All right. So the first thing we want to do is find some things out about that change. And we call that stage proposed change. And what we want to know is, what does this mean to me? <laughs> what is this change going to mean for me? Why is it happening? And what will it look like when it's done? Those are the important things that we want to know right away. What does it mean to me? Why is it happening? And what will it look like? Because we have part of our homeostasis is this fear of the unknown. So we want to know what it's going to look like when this change gets made, right? So once we start to get those answers, then the next stage of this change arc, and this chicky is the absolute heart of it, and it is all about choice. Because of homeostasis, most people, when they're first thinking about a new change, they think, they believe their self-talk is that the change is going to be difficult, costly, and weird. Right? They, maybe not you, but most people. Right. It's going to be difficult, meaning I don't know how to do this, and other people are going to get in the way of me doing it. That's what difficult means. Costly can mean time or money, but more importantly, it means identity and relationships and reputation, right? I'm going to lose things that are important to me. And weird just means unnatural. This feels strange. I've never done before. Ooh, right. You know? right. So what the choice is and what people who are good at making change do, they start finding ways to think about that change instead of difficult, costly, and weird as easy, rewarding, and normal, Right. Well, maybe I could learn how to do this, and maybe I could make a new system so there aren't impediments. Well, it, yeah, it's going to cost me some time, and I may not have the same relationships, but boy, I'm going to be much better able to serve my clients, or it's going to give me other things I find valuable. And normal, normal is the most interesting one to me, because normal generally means people who I think of as being like me are doing it. And people who I admire and want to emulate are doing it. That's what normative behavior is, right? Which is why it makes it so much easier for people to make a change if they look around and the people they care about and respect are doing it, right? So making that mindset shift from difficult, costly, weird to easy, rewarding, normal, then the next stage is new behaviors. Once you're starting to think that this change could be easy, rewarding, and normal, then I'll behave in the new ways that the change requires and the change can occur. So we see this arc over and over and over again. And what we realized, and I'm sure you know this too, there's all kinds of data that shows that most transformational change efforts in organizations fail. McKinsey has statistics that 70% of them fail. And wow. the vast majority of the time, it's because of a lack of management support and a lack of employee buy-in. And that to me is human beings haven't gone through their change arc. 
right? right? You can do all the due diligence, make all the practical plans you want. But if people haven't made that shift inside their own minds to accept the change, it's not going to work. And that's what happens. So that's so our approach is get down to that individual level of how people make change. And then we have this five-step change model that basically what it's doing is cascading that change arc through a whole organization while you're attending to the kind of nuts and bolts aspect of the change. So it's integrating that human side and the practical side so that the change can really work. Right, right. So this is how you have um, crafted a solution to be able to change on those three levels, right? Yes, yes, if, exactly. If you have to do it serially, right? And, and what I've realized about myself and, and this revelation, it took some time, is that the reason why I'm so comfortable with change is because I see problem and solution literally in the same frame. There, yeah. there isn't that serial nature, right? And if you have to get the leaders to change and then the individuals and then the organization all in that serial way, yeah. 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 Uh, gosh, that would take a long time. And, you know, obviously when people are needing change management assistance, then people like you who have made this your profession will always have work, right? So that's the good news of this. Um, but the, the steps that they're going to take, right, those, those five steps. So clarifying the change and why it's needed. And, and that really helps a lot to also realize why it fails at, you know, at the personal level. Because the why it's needed is, well, I'm completely comfortable with how things are, right? So why do I need change, right? right, right if right. you don't have that vision to see the end game, right? And this is, again, it packed in my bag was this amazing ability to see the end game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm sitting here right now, my office happens to be in my bedroom and uh, we have now got this amazing bedspread on our bed. And, and I saw it in my mind's eye before I ever found it on Wayfair or Amazon or wherever I bought it, right? But I could envision how my room would look and how it would time yes, yes. everything. And I, I, really, I got that from my mom. Well, let, let me let me pick up on that because that's such a perfect example. So, so these first two steps of the model, you know, what's the change and why it's needed, and then envisioning the future. Um, usually, usually that happens with a small group of people, usually the leaders who are first thinking about the change. And when it doesn't, so you come by that naturally. A lot of leaders don't, and they just zip right to step three, which is okay. Let's plan the change. And they're not, right. they don't get clear about what the change is, why it's happening, what it'll look like when it's done. Then they can't communicate that to the rest of the people right. in the organization. And everybody else is just like, wait, hold up. You know, I got some questions here and you're not answering them, right? So it's so important in an organizational change for the, the instigators of the change to really go through those first steps very, um, you know, kind of deliberately. So that when they come to step three, which is when you build the change team and engage the stakeholders and build the plan, you can then take the change team, especially through those first two steps kind of quickly and say, right. okay, so here's the work we've done so far. So they can start going through their change arc, right? So as everybody in the organization 
hears about the plan. That's why I talk about it as a cascade. And the first two steps is just a small group. The third step, you bring in the change team. You know, more people are coming. Right. The fourth step is when you're making the change in the organization. And that's when most of the people in the organization will hear about it. That's when they start their change curve. So if leaders and the change team recognize that people start going through their own curve about change at the moment they hear about the change, then they're going to have to have, you're going to have to have some patience because they're going to to go through that change curve. They're not going to be where you are six months after hearing about it. They're starting at the beginning. So it's cascading that mindset shift through the whole organization. Does that make sense? Not only does it make sense, I'm looking back at, you know, I told you that second half or second part of my career out out of the three pieces was my consulting career. And I'm pretty sure we talked about this in one of the previous interviews. One of the products that I had was a three-day integrated planning process where the, the kind of very, very deep change planning yeah. right what was accomplished and we we had this process where we'd come up with a five or six hundred line microsoft project plan that was measurable and executable but yes. oh my god how much more powerful would it have been now i don't want to go back to doing that kind of consulting <laughs> but but if i did my god i would have you by my side because i think that was the one thing that not that it wasn't successful because it was highly successful, but it would have been even more successful, like on steroids, right? And, yes. and it gets to the fifth step of keeping the change going. That's exactly oh. right. It's all about adopting and improving. And, that, and that's such a great example, Chicky, because what we found is so many organizations are really quite good at that practical, you know, 600 line work stream, create the project charter or have the work breakdown structure, you know, all that project management type stuff, but they really neglect the human side and they almost never integrate the two. So optimally in step four, you've integrated your, you know, as you're talking about your practical nuts and bolts change plan with a transition plan, which we encourage people to create that helps people through their own shift, like right. what's ending for you, what's beginning for you, how can we give you support? And we have, you would love this, you would love this. We have uh, developed these four levers. We call them change levers because like real levers, they're force multipliers. And there are four things, simple things to think about as you're building that transition plan, the things that will help accelerate people through that change arc. And they're, they're very simple. It, the first one is, increase understanding. So that's all about what is the change? Why is it happening? What will it look like? How will it affect you? What does it mean to your life? Just giving people the context and rationale that they often don't get at all in a change process, right? So that's the first one. The second one is interesting. It's clarify and reinforce priorities. Because lots of times in change, people get kind of, they get freaked out and they think, oh, everything's up for grabs. And the priorities are going to completely change. And and quite often, they're not. Quite often, the priorities remain pretty much the same with maybe one or two added priority. So if you really clarify for people, for instance, let's say you're doing a big uh, change to a company's CRM. And all the salespeople are like, oh, my God, everything's up for grabs. And you go, no, you still have the same uh, sales quotas. We're still going to be doing the same processes. Our product line hasn't changed. What's changing 
is our process for recording things. And, you know, you can make it very clear what's changing. And that's hugely soothing to people. So then the third lever is give control. And this one's really interesting because especially in big organizational changes, people assume it's just like, okay, we're going to tell everybody what to do. But to the extent that you can give the people who are the changes being imposed upon, you can give them some control in the situation. Like, when do you want to do this? Or how do you want to have this conversation? Or when will we start collaborating with this new group that you have to, that just makes them feel so much less victimized and so much more likely to be engaged in the change, right? And then the final uh, lever is give support. Now, early on in the change, mostly what that means is just listen. You know, people will be struggling with the difficult, costly, weird mindset. Don't try and talk them out of it. Don't try and make them wrong. Just listen. So you're concerned that this is going to take a long time. Yeah, I can really understand that. Or you're really worried that you're not going to have the same relationships with quality control that you did before. Yeah, I can understand that. And once people feel listened to, then they're ready for more practical support. Like, we're going to give you some training. We, it, it's, I, think, I think this will really solve the problem because there's new tools or there's a new process or we're going to make, you're going to have a mentor, you know, but if you try to do that without having listened to them, then it just bounces off. So that giving support is really important. And you can build those four things into your transition plan. So people are getting what they need to move through that change. And, and to your point, it really does turbocharge it. It makes it so much easier. Well, I, I'm blown away. Uh, and, and again, I'm always blown away by how you take the simplicity, right? Because this, this isn't rocket science, right? But it is rocket fuel. Oh, that's great. That's I love that. I, I always try and I, I, we're updating the Eric Anderson website kind of in honor of the new book. And one thing we say on it is that my books find the simplicity at the heart of complex topics. And I think that's right. And then it does become rocket fuel. If you, if you can see a complex topic like change or strategy or leading more simply, then that gives you so much momentum, right? Definitely, definitely. Well, I am just, I'm so excited to reconnect with you, Erica. And we have been talking with Erica Anderson, and she has written this new book that is coming out. Tell me when? October 26th. The audio will probably be available a little before that. So you can just go to Amazon and pre-order. Very cool. And so again, the book, Change from the Inside Out, and it's making you your team, and your organization change capable. Oh my God, I love that. I absolutely love that. And again, you, you always have such beautiful graphics. So there is a, a, a geode, is that what you yes, call it? Yes, yes. Okay. And, and the geode has like this brown outside, but there's a... A, an, a jewel yeah, inside. Right? I'll, yeah. tell, I'll give you a little story about that, how that came about. My It was my wonderful um, senior editor at Barrett Kohler, who's the publisher of this. So the, you talked about stories. So this story, like all my books, has a frame story that goes all the way through it. And it's a family-owned jewelry company, a, a father and his daughter, who, who, that's going through a lot of change. 
And so we were wondering what the image should be. And Neil, my editor, said, oh, let's make it a geode where the jewel is on the inside and you have to break it open to get it out. And I'm like, you're brilliant. Let's do that. Oh, it is brilliant. Right? And it's 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 brilliant. I mean, it's yeah, the sure is pretty. Yes, the, the stone is deep blue and, and yeah. just gorgeous. Erica, as always, it has been such a pleasure. Uh, yeah. How can people find you? I think the best way is, and this is easy, ericaanderson.com. As I said, we're updating the site and honor the new book. It's going to be live in a couple of weeks. It looks gorgeous. And from that site, you can get to all the books and my business. I love that. And again, it's Erica with a K and Anderson with an E. Exactly. Thank you. So uh, that will make it easy for people to find you. And Erica, again, I'm just so grateful for getting reconnected uh, after so many years. And uh, I can't wait to to actually dig into this book and to have a team to apply it to. So that's my next goal. For you as as a change positive, a change capable person, it will be so fun to help your team become more change capable. Well, and and to understand where on that that arc I I need to find them, because, again, I can't can't is a tough word, but I I don't want to work with people who are at the opposite end of the spectrum. I can deal with people who are. You know, they, they can manage change if they have, you know, all of the right information. That's fine. But the people oh, who I don't think, want to yes. change. You're such a change forward person that I can only imagine if somebody worked for you who was really change averse or change hesitant, it would drive both of you crazy. So I agree that you need people who are pretty change focused, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, Erica, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and it has been terrific. Thank you so much, Chicky. This was great. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chicky Fitzgerald.